Hello, I'm Shelly Till. Welcome to the Too Much Grit to Quit podcast, where I speak to some of the greatest athletic minds about overcoming adversity and building your grit muscle. Joining me today is Jordan Bohannon. Jordan just finished his illustrious career ending at the University of Iowa as one of the most prolific shooters in the program's history, as well as Iowa's all-time assist leader, product of Marion, Iowa and Linmar High School, the youngest of four Bohannon who all played Division I college basketball. Jordan, nice to see you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for being here. Um, I feel like I've known you since you were a little kid because, you know, we've been running around the AAU circuit and certainly playing, uh, Riley playing against you in the MBC in high school. Um, so it, as we were talking before we got on here, it just, it feels like it was so long ago. But as you look back at that time and now that your career has ended at, at Iowa, um, does it feel like it was just a, a flash? <laughs> oh, for sure. It feels just like yesterday, you know, I was putting on the Limar jersey for the first time as a freshman and thinking back to, you know, those memorable times I had and with those guys, and a lot of them are still my you know, best friends, even on the AU circuit. You know, I played with Riley and played with a lot of those guys that I grew up playing basketball with and became very great friends with. And it was really cool to see, you know, Riley, me, Cordell, Ryan, all gravitate to Iowa and, you know, share experiences that will last a, a lifetime. And um, it's something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. I know all of them will say the same thing because it was just a unbelievable ride that we were all on to even end up all at the, our you know, hometown university. As you look back, Jordan, um, and I know it's it's still all raw and the season just ended for you a, a week ago. But as you as you look back over the span of your career at Iowa, what are the highlights? What are the things that you think you'll take with you that you remember most or the, maybe the memories that stick out the most? You know, I get this question a lot about my experiences throughout as being an athlete. And I think the main thing that I always take out of it the most and will remember the most of is how I felt on a day-to-day -day basis and how I got through each day, you know, whether that was a practice or a lift. I don't honestly remember a lot that goes on during games after games. You know, it's pretty much so much adrenaline is going on in your body that it's it doesn't even feel like it's you that's in the game. And I know a lot of athletes feel the same way. What I remember most, you know, how did I feel up on, or feel when I woke up for this summer workout where we just had two day two a days and you know, I was feeling like crap and I didn't know if I could get through that workout for the day. I remember a, a, a workout back in uh, June, our very first, it was our first week of workouts and at Iowa and first, first week on campus in the summer. And we just got through this lift. I remember myself, Riley, Cordell, um, and a couple other guys that were underclassmen come into the locker room. We just laid down on the ground or like, what do we sign up for that? This is going to be quite, the, quite the journey. And, but it, it's crazy because it, it's times like that, that I remember most, I don't remember, you know, hitting a game winning shot that, that much. I remember, you know, going through those daily, you know, routines and, and getting to know the guys even more because practice and workouts is what you remember the most of everything. Speaking of remembering the most, obviously you have etched your name in the record books at Iowa. As I mentioned, um, Iowa's all-time leading assist. Um, and, you know, I, I, on the records in terms of three-pointers made in the statistic books. But you're also 
a champion for um, people whose voices can't be heard, whether that's other student athletes, and we'll talk about the NIL and, and um, the movement of not NCAA property, but also you've done a lot of charitable work. Um, there's a lot of young boys and, and young girls that look up to you. You see Jordan Bohannon, number three jerseys all across the state of Iowa. What do you want to be remembered for most? What is the legacy you hope to leave behind at the University of Iowa? I'm just hoping I left a legacy of you know, understanding why I play basketball. You know, I wrote down on my shoes every ever since I got to the campus at Iowa City, you know, freshman year, that I want to stick to my roots of what got me here and why I'm playing the game of basketball. And I found my why to be to try to inspire the younger generation. And when I got to that point of, you know, playing well enough for people to, you know, hopefully they knew my name back then and hopefully they do now. But when I got to see these kids, you know, opening up my number three jersey on Christmas Day and getting sent those pictures, that that is one of the most surreal moments that I've ever had, you know, junior year when everyone was doing that, sending me those pictures, it was the coolest experience ever to see that, you know, a young kid in, you know, a small town, Iowa has, you know, high hopes of playing basketball and that they look up to me and what I've done, not only on the court, but off the court as well. So that will for sure be, you know, the, what my, what, what I want my legacy to be is that hopefully I impacted a handful of kids that, you know, wanted to, you know, move on with their profession, whether, whether it was, you know, a dream of playing basketball or, you know, becoming a teacher, doing something in the real world that they was, that was a dream of theirs. So for sure, um, you know, inspire the younger generation is what I want to be remembered as. And that didn't come easily for you. Um, I know we've talked about the, the surgery that's been publicly known, but, um, you know, I think a lot of times people look at athletes and especially we hear this, um, in social media now, as you're on this quest to help with the, the NIL movement. And, and we always hear people saying, oh, but you get this, that, and the other thing. It's like, you know, and athletes are pampered and you should just shut up and dribble. And uh, I know, you know, but for, for people that might not realize, um, just kind of talk about if you can, and not saying that this was the overwhelming or overarching feeling that you had, but there are, you had physical adversities you had to fight through you and the rest of your teammates. And, and like you said, waking up and wondering, am I going to be able to get through this practice or this, this day, because you're in physical pain. Now, on top of that, this past year has been mentally and emotionally challenging for athletes across the country. Can you just kind of give a highlight, um, or maybe an overview of what this year past year has been like for not only for you, but all the, the rest of the athletes on your team as you've had to endure COVID protocols and, and missing games and being isolated and shut down and really um, just constrained and how you can live your life. Yeah, for sure. It was one of the most mentally draining and physically years of my life. And I'm sure everyone on the team will say the same thing as well as you know, other teams across the country that what we had to deal with on a daily basis of, you know, getting up in the morning and being tested every single day and only only being able to be around our teammates every day and not being allowed to see our family members after games, not seeing friends at all. I just saw my family, my mom and dad close up, I was able to give them a hug for the first time in you know, about five, six months, which was you know really special to know that the 
really the adversity that we went through this entire season is something that a generation of athletes haven't ever been through. Uh, this is a, it was a once in a lifetime, you know, pandemic. We're hoping this will never happen again. I'm praying that it won't never happen again. But I would like to think that we pro provided a light for a lot of people back home that were dealing with issues, um, you know, at home with their families and not being able to do much that that they were able to turn on their TV and watch us play the game that we love to play. And a lot of it, what we did was for the love of the game where there was no fans in the stands, which was miserable. I, I feed off the crowd. I've always been a guy that fed off the crowd and, and the energy from, you know, home and away games, but not having that was a whole different, you know, dimension to kind of work through and, you know, fight through, but it was all worth it in the end because I, I feel like we did, at the end of the day, provide a lot of hope and light to a lot of families throughout the entire Midwest. Yeah, you certainly did. And can you speak to Jordan? Some, what did you have to do? What did you find yourself? What worked for you to try to um, deal with that, the mental and emotional draining? Because just like we have physical injuries, right? You go to the trainer, you work, you get ice, you um, do the stim machines, you, you know, there's all kinds of things, exercises you're doing to take care of your body physically. What did you personally find helpful to take care of yourself mentally? Yeah, mentally injuries are, mental injuries are definitely way more complicated than physical injuries because there's not a lot of solutions that can help you, you know, to get your mental on straight. And this year was a prime example of it. I know everyone dealt with issues on their own and myself, it was really hard to work through because, you know, I love being around my family. I love being around my friends. I love being around people and I wasn't able to do that. And granted, I love my teammates, but at the end of the day, you can only be with a certain amount of people for so long before you go crazy. But, you know, for myself, I did everything I could to try to take my mind off basketball when I wasn't in Carver or around people, uh, or around my teammates, because, you know, I was around them enough. I, I needed a little time for myself to, you know, whether that was me doing a podcast or me, you know, jumping on to video games with my friends or, you know, just Zooming one of my friends. It's that helped me incredibly a lot because that helped me to realize that at the end of the season, there's going to be a little bit of light for us. And as long as we get through this rough patch, that that was kind of a, my way to, you know, take a break from it all for a little bit. And I think that that helped me definitely get through it. Well, I'm sure your mom and dad appreciated that hug. Uh, I can say <laughs> personally, I, I actually, uh, cause as you know, Riley is out at, in California now as a grad transfer and they had zero fans in the stands. Parents couldn't even go. And so I went to their tournament, which was in Vegas, thinking that they would, we would be allowed and we weren't. So I literally spent four days in a hotel watching him play on the computer until they got beat so that I could see him for two hours and hug him. But it yeah. was totally worth it. Yeah, it's as much as I it took the toll on me, I'm sure it took as biggest toll on my mom, my dad and my brothers that. I wasn't able to go out to eat with them after a game. I wasn't able to just be around them closely. And, but that was a sacrifice we had to make. And that's, that was just shows a lot of how essential we, we are as at college athletes. And, you know, I, I'm very thankful that we we're able to get through the season. No, nothing bad happened to us or teammates or coaches or anyone part of the program. And it showed a lot of what our sacrifice was as players to try to make this season happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you became entertainers more than ever, I think, this season, um, even though there wasn't a fan in the stands. Um, 
so that leads me to, you know, the way things ended, I know is not what you wanted, what your team wanted, what any of us anticipated. Um, there was a lot of hype about your team. You clearly had all the talent that you needed to go a long way in this tournament, but you know, as life goes, it doesn't always go the way we plan. And you had an early exit at, uh, in a loss to Oregon. Um, it's been about a, a week now, a little over a week on, uh, was Monday, the 22nd. How are you doing a week later after processing all of that? I'll tell you what, that I, I, I was really struggling for about 48 hours. Um, I got home and I didn't know what to do to, to try to take my mind off the Oregon game and how we played especially how myself played knowing that it was arguably one of the biggest game of my careers and you know I had arguably one of the worst games of my careers so you know it was very it was very you know hard for me to work through it what helped me a lot was talking to my dad and you know it, it's funny how much our, our lives have interlapped with just myself and my dad you know him playing at Iowa and myself having full circle of my myself uh, going to Iowa and kind of living through his legacy. And, you know, he, he talked about when they went to the Rose Bowl and, you know, he was a big reason why they shifted that entire football program it was basically because my dad and uh, his team that uh, that shifted it all. And they got to the Rose Bowl and laid a stinker. They played really bad. And my dad said that's something he had to live with for many years and it really haunted him for how bad they played. And, um, it, so it was kind of very, very intriguing to learn about more about my dad's feelings through that time that he was going through as well as what I was going through, because it was basically kind of the same, very, very similar. So I think talking through it helped a lot for my for myself mentally and physically to you know understand that they, when I wake up the next day that the sun's going to rise, the same problems are going to rise that other people had before. It's not going to impact you know, your, your life going forward, knowing that, you know, you play bad one game to take away from the fact of what, you know, myself and my teammates were accomplished, were able to accomplish throughout the year and throughout all, all of each other's careers. And I think it's interesting and, it, you know, it, and kudos to you for figuring that out <laughs> in seven days. Um, you know, there's a lot of athletes out there and I will raise my hand to this um, who, it take, took decades to learn the lessons and I, and you will continue to learn them, but to learn the lessons, the, 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 the things that were, we felt were such adversities and that we just couldn't shake. And, you know, as you know, there's athletes, your sport is your identity, whether it, the degree it's really the only, the, the thing that is different is just to what degree is it your, your identity. And so athletes with a high athletic identity can struggle once it's all over, especially the way it, it ends so abruptly. And so the fact that you're processing that and that you have your dad there who's been through that is so, so important. So I just encourage you and anybody listening to this that, you know, especially athletes to really pay attention to that because just trying to stuff our feelings and move on and suck it up and, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps uh, can be dam damaging long-term. But what you've, what I've seen you doing now, Jordan, is you've taken all of your experiences and all of the challenges and your, you know, determination and your work ethic. And now you're shifting it into this name, image, and likeness movement. Um, and, and, and very recently through the tournament, you've teamed up with um, Isaiah Livers and with Geo Baker from Rutgers, Isaiah Livers from, from Michigan. And you guys 
uh, th there was a hashtag going, or it's still going through the tournament, hashtag not NCAA property. Can you tell me how that all got started and how you connected with Gio and Isaiah? Yeah, it started personally back when my brother Zach got uh, into the Final Four when he was the captain of his Wisconsin team early in the 2010s. And he kind of started speaking out about college athlete issues. It's funny because looking from a personal standpoint that back in middle school, I actually wrote a research paper about why college athletes shouldn't be compensated. So looking through the years and how I've shifted in my, my, my mindset, mindset about how I thought about it and my mindset now is pretty extraordinary to the, the leaps and bounds that I've gone and have learned about it. But, you know, as I went through college, uh, I learned more and more, started making more connections with other players, with other people that are involved with college athlete advocacy. And it really wasn't until that rug incident my junior year, as funny as it sounds of how you know, sarcastic, I was making that whole situation be that really started the the stepping stones for my uh, kind of the next chapter in my life of advocating for these college athletes that um, a lot of them are struggling for some basic rights that are just being limited for no reason at all. And I started making close friends with a lot of players on the Big Ten conference. Uh, we ended up having a meeting in August about the upcoming season and how we wanted to be um, go about because we thought we had a lot of leverage and power this year to make something happen and have a voice and dialogue finally be, you know, interacted between us and, you know, the coaching, coaching staffs, as well as NCA and big 10 conference. So after that, we just kept in touch throughout the year, myself, Jill Baker and Isaiah livers. Uh, we ended up all making the conference tournament or the NCA tournament. Um, Really didn't have any issues with the team other than Michigan going through um, their couple weeks pause, but we got to the NCAA tournament and we taught, we met up again um, with us three, as well as Ramogi Humo with NCPA that I've been very, became very close with as I've worked with the past couple of years. And we just decided that we wanted to do something for our voices to be heard on the national stage. And we felt like bringing our, all three of our platforms together that we have, we had an extraordinary opportunity to bring players from all over the tournament, from men's and women's, to form this social media protest and in turn create more awareness and as well as lay out four main goals that we wanted to accomplish through this. And I'll tell you what, what we did was very historical. And um, next couple of days, we actually are going to be able to check a couple of those boxes off for the, the four goals that we wanted to be accomplished. Uh, what are those four goals, Jordan? The first one was a meeting with Mark Emmer and the NCA, which we are planning to meet with him on Thursday morning. Um, the second one was to meet with the Biden administration, and we're actually meeting with him an hour after uh, Mark Emmer with the Biden administration and Senator Booker. Um, the other two deal with uh, our ability to meet with, continue to meet with federal legislators and continue to talk about these issues. Um, and the fourth one basically laying out the um, goal of wanting to establish name image likeness as a universal right that should be held by all college athletes. And um, our ability to check off those first two goals is going to help us continue to work through those next two because the work's just really getting started. And, you know, back in uh, actually mid-December, we met with a bunch of college athletes in the, through the universities of Iowa. And we met with a couple of uh, senators and we drafted a bill that got introduced into the Iowa legislate, uh, 
or to the Iowa Congress. And the deadline's Thursday. We're working really hard to get that push to be released for a vote because we think it will be passed. But the Senate majority leader is being non-committal right now. We're doing everything we can to push forward with that. So, but crazy, crazy journey that we've all been on as athletes that we've decided to advocate for this because um, it's been very, very rewarding to see the work that we've put put in the last couple of weeks. So if the Iowa, let, let's talk about the Iowa legislature. You said the deadline is this Thursday, which is April 1st. Hmm, that's convenient. April Fool's. <laughs> Um, uh, what is, what is it that you're wanting to get passed? How will that affect the state of Iowa and athletes here? Cause I know this has happened in other States already. So just explain to people what that does for athletes in the state of Iowa. Well, for athletes like myself, it's basically the deciding factor. I know this is probably news to a lot of people, but the deciding factor for me coming back next year, if I'm able to make money off name image likeness and, um, promote my name in the public, for sure. I want to try to you know, do that. And I think that all the work that I kind of helped with and for other college athletes, it'd be kind of cool to experience the, experience that, you know, situation for one. So, you know, we try to make it personal as athletes when we met with these legislators about this bill, we actually got the bill date. They, they want to do 2022. And we actually said to them, like, listen, there's, there's states out there that are going to have 2020, uh, effective dates throughout the entire country. And this is going to be a huge recruiting advantage or disadvantage if Iowa isn't a part of it. And that was the main goal we wanted to get accomplished through, the, through these legislators in Iowa that, listen, if, the, if we don't pass this, recruiting is going to become really hard for the state of Iowa to get you know, top level talent to the state of Iowa as other states will continue to garner them um, throughout the country. So I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Because this is this is a big deal. If if this were to get passed and ineffective immediately for next season, you're saying that you would come back and play another year at Iowa. That was kind of my goal all along, but there's still a lot of loop loops to go through right now, which is why I'm fighting so hard for it. But you know, at the end of the day, I do want this to help myself. But I started this to help many athletes across the country, and. Sure. I did it for, I didn't think it could ever get to this point where I'd be able to experience it. So it's kind of pretty cool to work this hard and you know, have an opportunity yeah. and a chance to experience it. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then that bodes the next question. How can people listening to this help? Is, are there, do, do they contact their senators? Um, you know, what's the holdup in, in the Iowa legislature? Yeah, the plan, so we got it past the subcommittees, it got passed with flying colors, that wasn't the issue. Right now, it's just basically Senator Whitford wanting to introduce in this, into the Senate to be voted on. Um, for whatever reason, he's kind of being non-committal with it. I'm planning to call him tonight about talking through it and his, his uh, mindset of why he's being non-committal with it. Um, the great thing about it is uh, oh, he's, already, he's not opposed to it. And I believe this isn't a, this isn't a one-sided issue with, with Congress. This is a bipartisan bill that was formed through Iowa. And I think it can help so many athletes across the, across the state and as, as well as across the country that want to come to Iowa. There's, there's going to be an advantage for them to come to Iowa if this does happen. Um, 
You, okay, so then you also mentioned your first two goals. So you do have a meeting set with Mark Emmert of the NCAA Thursday, correct? We just finalized it this morning, correct, yes. Okay, and then after that, you mentioned Cor Senator Cory Booker, um, as well as the Biden administration. Do you know who else will be in attendance in that, specifically from the administration? I'm not for sure on the Biden administration. Uh, we just got word back from Senator Booker's office that they are, they did confirm the day or for the time for Thursday morning. Um, yeah, so we're just kind of hearing on who else will be joining, but we do, we do our, we, we are planning to have uh, Sedona Prince from Oregon. Um, hopefully Caitlin Clark from Iowa will join us. Uh, as well as numerous men's athletes that were speaking out on, on the topic as well to be on the meeting. And one of the key things is happening, actually. We're, we are talking today. It's Tuesday, uh, March 30th. So tomorrow, Wednesday, March 31st, is when the Supreme Court he hears this or rules on this. What is it that you're hoping that they do in this, at the Supreme Court level? Yeah, this is an important stepping stone for name and likeness because this, what's going to be decided by the Supreme Court is essentially opposing everything that NCA believed. Uh, NCA has always said they are for student athletes. They won't do everything they can to promote student athlete experience. However, they took this Supreme Court case to the Supreme Court. Uh, cost they're they're going against their own word with with the supreme court case and they're using college athlete revenue that the college athletes have earned to to get lawyers to go against this case essentially and it's really disappointing to see that because they're just contradicting themselves and supreme court were to rule in favor of the nca it would be detrimental to a lot of college athletes across the country so if they rule um favorably then you can proceed with uh, with these other state laws and then hopefully having a more broad universal uh, making, as you mentioned, NIL a universal right. Is that accurate? Yeah, so the Supreme Court case right now with Austin is all tied to educational-based costs. So everything that's related to edu education that universities should handle. And the that actually got passed in a circuit court. NCA appealed it all the way up to the a Supreme Court, and we want the Supreme Court to rule in favor of universities handling all educational-based costs, because if NCA is truly about student-athletes, they would definitely not side, not go, not oppose the, the, the last, the last uh, court decision. So, um, you mentioned earlier, or you mentioned Caitlin Clark, um, obviously a up and coming. I, I think she's the best women's basketball player to play at the University of Iowa, hands down. But um, if she, so she's representing female athletes. I think a lot of people think that this is all about men and high level men, people like you, people like Luca Garza, the big names across the country to make hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And it's, going to hurt women or hurt women's athletics. I don't believe that to be the case, but what is your take? And what do you say to people who say that this isn't for women, it's just for you superstars? It's funny you bring that up because there's just uh, numbers done on the top 20 athletes with social media followings and engagement rates for 
the Elite Eight with men's and women's. And I believe 15 of the top 20 men's and women's athletes were women's on how much money they can earn based off their following and engagement on social media. And Caitlin Clark was actually number 20 on it with her following that she's garnered just over the last two weeks. She just, she only had about, you know, 10,000 followers and she went from 10,000 to almost 50,000 followers on Instagram just after this NCAA tournament. And she became one of the top earning, potentially earning name, image, or likeness college athletes in the entire country just off a couple of weeks. So that shows right there that this isn't just a men's and men's issue. This is a men's and women's issue. It provides an outlet for men's and women's to be able to go on the public and form third-party contracts. And if you look at Megan Gustin two years ago, she had such high marketability when she was a senior in college and she won't ever have that ability to make as much money as she could have that senior year. And it's really devastating to see that because professional sports and, and women's they're, they're not prone to make a lot of money. They they're prone to make more money potentially in college. And this just shows right there from the social media following of how much opportunity there is for a lot of these women athletes. What do you say about the naysayers? And I know you get all these cause I, you know, I follow you and I on Twitter and I'm, I'm, I like have to hold the mama bear back, <laughs> me, but um, Riley would appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of him. Okay. I, I want to, we're going to talk about the women, but I, the other component of this are guys that, and women who are walk-ons. I, I think that people don't understand that these rules apply to everybody across the board. And, and a, a prevalent argument you hear is, yeah, but you're getting free education, free gear, free travel, free food, free this, that, and the other thing. And it's not that way. I mean, for, for instance, for guys like Riley who are paying their own way, these rules apply to walk-ons as well. What do you say about that? Yeah, it totally opposes their argument about, well, you get a scholarship, you get all these things paid for. People that aren't on scholarship that are non-athletes have to pay for tuition and therefore in turn get name image likeness, which it doesn't work like that because there's walk-ons, as you just said, um, as Riley was at, at Iowa for a couple of years, he had to pay his own way and as well as was limited on his ability to, you know, have a marketability to form third party contracts in the community. So from that aspect, it, it doesn't make much sense that the NCA is um, stating that case and other arguments across the board because it doesn't flow right. It doesn't because when you sign your national letter of intent, you're signing up for limited, basically. and all other students that are going to college have that ability to have basic rights of uh, having, you know, endorsing their name and their likeness. When, when you sign that letter of intent, you don't, you don't get that. You're signing away a basic right. And in terms of, I, cause I've heard this as well, and this is coming more from the coaching perspective. Um, cause I've talked to coaches about this, you know, we're, we're in uncharted waters here. So it's, it's, there's a lot of moving pieces to this. One of the concerns I have heard is how do you handle the chemistry amongst your team when uh, one guy's getting paid a lot of money for his name, image, and likeness. And then you got other guys on the team that are just, are not, are not able to capitalize on that. How would you address that? I love this argument because uh, yeah, I was just on the phone with Jay Billis the other week and we brought this argument up and, you know, we were basically talking about there's not any discrepancy when a coach's head coach is being paid $2 million, $3 million a year and assistant coaches are being paid, 
you know, below uh, around six figures. There's no discrepancy. There's no people saying that, well, that's not fair. What's the team chemistry like when the coaches would be paying all that money? How, how is the players reacting when the, the coach is being paid $3 million and the players are just getting a bare minimum? You know, that, that's basically the same argument. I, and I hate, I hate that argument because that's the same exact thing. And no one ever says anything about the coaches and the amount of money they make. Yeah. Granted, a lot, coaches do a lot of work. They do great work. They're phenomenal people in the coaching industry. However, that argument isn't, isn't correct. And it, it shouldn't be about what the team chemistry is like because – if you're good at something, you get paid more money for it. That's the kind of economy we live in. We live in a free market and our ability is being limited. And we're, we're, we're essentially not in the free market as being college athletes. I would take it a step further in addition to that and say that just, you know, that means a coach has to coach. Meaning, you know, there, there are guys that play more than other guys. There are guys that play 30, 40 minutes. There are guys that don't get to play at all. And it's still that coach's job to make everybody on that bench feel valued and feel like a part of the team. This just puts another, uh, you know, another aspect to that. So now you're not just talking playing time, you're talking ability to, to make money. But if to me, uh, the best coaches are going to be the ones who see it as another thing they, they have to handle, but find a way to make everybody else who maybe is making the money to still feel valued and part of the team so that the focus doesn't become on how much money is Jordan Bohannon making the focus is how well is this team playing together and are they winning games exactly and if you're a great head coach you're not arguing of this affecting your team you're you believe in your work you believe in your job and your ability to right the ship of your team no matter what happens through the season yeah. you know this is just should be to add an, another added level and I don't think this is that hard to work through, to be honest. It's not that huge of a deal. Money should never get in the way of anything in life. And I've always held that true to my heart. And I think, you know, coaches being paid these big salaries is just another, you know, evidence to prove that. So the, the hashtag not NCAA property, um, we saw Isaiah Livers, right? With that, that shirt on. Yeah, he can't play for Michigan, but you see that shirt. By the way, are you guys selling those shirts yet? Um, we are not selling them as individuals, but it's funny because uh, one of the Michigan managers actually made those shirts within like 48 hours and ran them to Indianapolis right before the game started. So they got them to Isaiah and Gio and a bunch of their teammates, but I opted out of not wearing it because I wanted to remain focused on during the game, mm -hmm. but you know, they decided to go the other route, which is totally fine. So let's talk about that. Cause what is the message behind not NCAA property? Because I've heard you say that this is a civil rights issue. How is this a civil rights issue? This is a civil rights issue because there's basic rights being stripped away from a, a large population with college athletes. And us stating that we're not NCA property means that NCA has owned us essentially. They've owned our name, they've owned our image, they've owned our likeness and our ability to go out into our communities and profit off our abilities. They just said, they've, NCAA has basically said all along that you're here as student athletes. Um, everyone knows that we're there as athletes, not students first. That's why I always use the term college athletes because we're basically college athletes, not students first. And, you know, they pulled that term true to their heart. And we'll say, Mark Emmer will say to his grave that there's not, um, there's not a difference between, between the two. 
But however, like I said, we're, we're stating that we're not NCA proud. We, that we are tired of being belonged to the NCA and not making profit off our own name, image, and likeness. And like I said, the basic rights is, a, is proof right there why this is a civil rights issue. We've touched on um, the, some of the things, some of the naysayers, right? We've touched on some of the objections to this. There are a lot more. Um, but you, you're obviously very vocal about this. You're very passionate about this. Um, I respect that about you. I like that you're not able, you're not afraid to stand up for what you believe in and you're using your platform for good. But that doesn't come without criticism and condemnation. And sometimes it's from people at high levels. So I'm not talking about the people that don't have the guts to step into the arena. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, and I know that you, you mentioned Jay Billis. He's been a, a, an outspoken supporter of this for years. But uh, the other, just the other week, um, you were facetiously mocking the gift bags from the NCAA at March Madness. Um, and, and ESPN Seth Greenberg had less than complimentary things to say about your response to that. And in fact, commented and said that you looked ungrateful. Um, he also went on to say he doesn't know you. And so he's not making a judge on your personality, but um, what do you say to, to those people who have that kind of take uh, about what you're doing? Well, uh, Seth Greensburg is in an interesting situation. I think I met my opinion well-known when I responded to him and simply stating that he makes his entire livelihood has been based off the work of college athletes and I feel like what I said you know, I, I, I put three laughing emojis after it but it's a it's a, it's a fact that I stated his entire life has been based around unpaid labor by college athletes so you know people say you shouldn't have said that but at the end of the day I'm going to say what I believe in I'm going to say what I think is true and I, I feel like what exactly I said was um, fair warranted for him coming at me and knowing myself I've always been a very competitive guy if someone comes at me, I'm going to reciprocate that energy. So, um, but when people say that I, people, we're looking ungrateful for being up here and complaining in quotes, complaining about what we're talking about and um, trying to get past with the image likeness. You know, I, I said that we were on ESPN doing a round table discussion with Reese Davis the other day. And, you know, I simply stated that we're not up here, you know, complaining about our scholarships. We're not up here complaining about us playing on national television. We're up here simply stating that we don't have a basic right that every other student has on campus. Why should we be stripped of that when we sign a national letter of intent? There's nothing about us standing up here being ungrateful. We're not ungrateful for being on charter charter planes. We're not ungrateful for getting free food. We're not ungrateful for all that stuff. At the end of the day, we want to have the same abilities as our other students that are across the country on each of these campuses and, you know, I said this exact statement that we're so grateful for our platform that we that we have you know garnered from our abilities that we want to make it better for the next generation. And I think at the end of the day, that makes us even more grateful for the opportunities we've had. Well, and 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 certainly the people that say, well, then give your scholarship up. What they what what people are missing is, and we talked about this, um, but someone can go to school, University of Iowa on a full ride academic scholarship. Someone could go on a full ride music scholarship, a full ride art scholarship. I mean, you name it. There are all different ways. There are more scholarships outside of athletics than there are in it. And so, but those people can make money off their name. They can have their, use their Instagram or their social media platforms. They can make t-shirts and get paid for them. But 
you guys can't work for yourself. You can't even hold a basketball camp. You can't make a t-shirt. You can't even make a t-shirt and sell it and give the money to the children's hospital. <laughs> so I don't think people quite grasp that, but yet you could turn around and go work at, you know, a restaurant and make money for them, which is going to bring people through the doors because they want to see you. So, you know, that to me, that, that, I just wanted to say that because that argument doesn't hold water. And I don't, I think people that say that are ignorant in the sense of uneducated. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes from, you know, people just being, not wanting to understand our, you know, perspective of what we're talking about. It has a lot to do with being uneducated. And, you know, when I was talking about me being in middle school, no way I was educated enough to talk about what I'm talking about now. It took me years and years and years to learn the system, to be a part of the system. If it wasn't for me being a part of the system, I for sure wouldn't have been, be on this platform right now talking about, you know, this situation going on. And, you know, the the, the idea, idea of people saying that, well, when we just give up our scholarships and we just pay our own way. You don't see music majors when, as soon as they have a chance to make money, they're not just going to forfeit their scholarship and say, well, I can make money now off my abilities. I'm just going to give up the scholarship that I work so hard for. It doesn't work like that in that, in that aspect. And the same thing with the NCA. The NCA is a monopoly. What what are what are high school athletes going to do? They have nowhere else to go other than the NCA. There's no other organization that provides the very limited ability or uh, opportunities that they have. And like I said, that's why we're so grateful because because they provide so many opportunities for us to be known on the national stage. However, they're a monopoly, so they can provide whatever rules they want, whatever restrictions they want, and it takes until the Supreme Court to finally know say well this is enough you guys have had enough rain on these college athletes for, for all this time and I know you have a lot of supporters you have a lot of big name high level supporters um, in fact Chris Bosch just came out with a statement I think it was in the last 24 hours um, he plays for the Raptors uh, you know and basically kind of spelled out his story when he went to Georgia Tech and how you know he got poorer if you will when he went to college couldn't afford a, a coat and, and had no way to make money or income while he was there. So he's in full support of this. Who else has come, you know, to, to bat for you guys to, to back you up in this mission? Uh, there's been so many from just former athletes. My brothers have played against, uh, I mean, obviously Jay Billis has been huge for myself. He's kind of almost been a mentor for, for me to learn more and more about this on an everyday issue. So he's for sure, been a key part of this you know talking with Reese Davis the other day you know just shows you know there's a lot of people that are in our corner that are understanding you know what we're going through um, but if you just look across the board there's a lot of national media members a lot of reporters that are talking about this issue that are in full support you know the Wall Street Journal just had me in an article uh, and quoted me a couple of times and and talking about the college athlete experience and what what we go through and why it's so misunderstood by a lot of people and I think the fact of the matter is there's so many, you know, national media that's picking up on this that, you know, a lot of them believe all of these reporters that are writing these stories believe in, you know, I've talked to literally probably 12 reporters in the past week and a half about this issue. Yeah. And all of them are understanding what we're going through. They had no NCAA experience. They have no idea what it's like playing college basketball, but when they hear people talk and they listen that's when change can happen. And I think that's the most important thing in anything we do in life is our ability to listen to others. And I think we've definitely gone away from that as a society, as a whole. 
Well, you're certainly, uh, you know, a change maker and using, like I said, using your platform for good. Um, it's very inspiring. I'm all for it. I know, you know, that I support you and everything that you're doing. Um, I would have loved this to have been in place eight years ago, but, um, what, so what are, what's next for you? I, I know we talked about, you know, the, again, the Supreme court meeting tomorrow, you've got meetings in place, but if, as you look longer, longer term, let's just, let's just, uh, project that this passes right? And that this goes the way you want it to go. What's next for you? What, what do you see longer term, maybe in the next year um, and beyond? Yeah, I obviously see myself to continue to, you know, almost be a guy for college athletes to go to, to, you know, help educate them. I feel like there's so much education that needs to happen with the college athletes from financial advice to, you know, about just college athlete rights in general. And, um, the work I've done with the NCPA has opened my head, my mind, my, my, my mind to it even more about, you know, how, how much I can help. Um, because, you know, just about seven months earlier, I wasn't, you know, that involved with other college athletes and talking to these athletes across, you know, conferences and other teams across the big 10. And now I've became, you know, great friends with Geo Baker, great friends with Isaiah Livers, great friends with all these athletes across the other conferences because of, you know, this kind of universal issue that we all hold true to our hearts and you know I see myself in some way shape or form continue that um, this kind of legacy I'm continuing on about you know college athlete rights and advocacy for it because I think it's a very important issue based off you know like I said earlier about the monopoly that NCAA holds and there needs to be dialogue with these athletes because you look at professional sports there's a, there's there's as much attention for college basketball college football and women's basketball um just as professional for the, all those sports as well. So, and they all have player associations and, you know, maybe that's the next step of, you know, forming a player association for these college athletes for, you know, a way for everyone to come to, you know, an, an organization to provide advice and, you know, experience to, from someone that, you know, has, has experienced everything that they're about to go through. Well, Jordan, I think uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I wish you nothing but, the best with it. We'll certainly be paying attention, um, not only to the, to the Supreme court, but, um, beyond how can people help people that are listening here? What is it that the, the general public can do to help support you in this mission? I think calling your, uh, uh, local representatives, whoever your representatives is in your state, whoever's listening, I think, you know, contacting them in the next couple of days and just pushing for this for Senator Whitford, um, to do something with this bill. Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, force him into, you know, having this bill be voted on, but I think it's important for, you know, everyone to, you know, create, continue to create awareness for this because at some, this is going to happen, whether, you know, the, I feel like uh, there's a minority of people that truly don't want this to happen. Um, but this is going to happen the next year or two or three years. It's, it's going to, it's already in state legislations. Um, it's all, already being drafted by other states. Um, it's already in place by some other states um, and the federal bill already has been introduced by Senator Booker and it's probably going to be reintroduced for college athlete uh, bill of rights. So um, at, some, at some point this is going to happen. I, I want the awareness to be created sooner rather than later um, because I don't want my fellow college athletes continue to be harmed harm by what the NCAA does to these, to these college athletes. Jordan, if people want to reach out to you, what's the, the best way? Or if you just want to share like your Twitter handle. And I'll yeah, uh, 
uh, I don't even know what my Twitter handle is. I think it's Jordan, Jordan Bow underscore three, I believe is my Twitter handle. Um, you know, I, I've replied to as much people as I can. I love interacting with fans. It's my favorite, favorite thing ever to be able to talk to people and, you know, have them, you know, share their experiences of watching me play or watching the Hawkeyes play. It's definitely one of the most uh, rewarding things of being an Iowa Hawkeye. Okay. Well, I'm going to make a, a deal with you right here. Um, when this passes and you decide to come back and play another year at Iowa, I want to have you back so we can have a celebratory episode. How's that sound? That sounds great with me. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's a wrap for this edition of Too Much Grit to Quit on Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Shelly Till. Please join me again the next time and make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.